0: Welcome to Extraterrestrial Reality. Today I want to talk about three very strange encounters that people have had with extraterrestrials that aren't your standard extraterrestrials. Uh, For the most part, as we all know, uh, alien abductions usually involve little gray beings, three and a half to four feet tall, with big oversized heads, bald, almond-shaped eyes, usually four digits on their hands, uh, tall grays, uh, reptilian creatures. Sometimes there's these little blue creatures that people talk about uh hoods with hoods on and then of course insectoids are praying mantis type uh beings and they have this they seem to have some sort of uh uh, hybridization program ongoing according to uh some researchers like uh david jacobs like like i always talk about all the time Uh, but then there are other cases with other kinds of creatures and you have to wonder uh are these creatures involved? Do they all know about each other? I mean, are they just all just passing through and then going on their merry way? There's a lot of one offs. Uh, for instance, in the 1973 Pascagoula, Mississippi encounter, uh, where uh, two gentlemen were fishing on a pier on, uh, at the Mississippi, uh, the Pascagoula River in Mississippi, and uh, sp- uh, some sort of a weird craft shows up, lands, uh, hovers uh, right behind them uh, near this pier where they are fishing. Uh, this the, Their names are Calvin uh, Parker and uh, Charles Hickson. And they get abducted by these weird creatures. They look like, they, they say they're like robots. They have pincers for hands. They float above the ground. They grab them. They, these guys can't do anything. They can't move. They're brought into a craft where they're examined by uh, machines. Uh, and and uh, there's uh, some sort of a humanoid creature in there. But there was no account by these men of, uh, gr- of gray beings. And there's a lot of cases like this. I mean, they're all over the place. Uh, And when you do the research, you'll find find this, like just creatures that aren't, uh, you never heard of them before. You never heard the descriptions of these things before. Uh, And we're going to start with a case. Now, this was something uh, that was uh, the Aerial Phenomena Research Organization, or APRO, had investigated back in 1977. And... uh, you, there's, a, there's a website, it's the uh, North, Northern Ontario UFO Research and Study website, and they have uh, some APRO, old APRO cases on there, and this one of them involves some guy that was abducted by machines, by sentient machines, very strange case. Uh, this person's name was Lee Parrish, he was 19 years old, he experienced missing time after seeing a UFO. Uh, and then but then later on through hypnosis uh he remembered being abducted by these beings that were not anything you ever heard of before i mean they were like machines and they weren't your they they're not what you would think they weren't humanoid uh for the most part they were just just like a, the, the one thing looked like a, like a wall basically with the with the with the auspices of a head on the top of it it was just very strange there was a diagram that was uh, drawn of this and you could I, I will throw it up on the screen right now so you could see And basically, what what, what's there is, it looks like this. There there were three different machines that this guy was abducted by, uh, that he saw. Uh, There was this uh, a red one that had had some sort of an arm on it that that touched his head. There was another one, a big black uh, like (laughs) looks like a wall, uh, that had an arm on it that was grabbing him. And then there was this white one that looked seemed to be in charge of the other two. But anyway, we're going to get into this case, very strange case. Uh, and here it is. It says here, Lee, this guy's name was Lee Parrish. He was 19 at the time in 1977. It was in, on uh, January 27th of 1977, at one, just after one in the morning. Uh, Anyway, it says here, Lee had been at Kathy's house. Kathy was his girlfriend and left just as a television program they had been watching was going off the air, which pinpointed his departure at just before 1 a.m. He fed the dog on the way out and then got in his Jeepster, a 1970 model with a V6 engine and headed for home, normally a seven-minute journey. The weather was cold and partly cloudy with quite a bit of snow on the ground. However, the roads were relatively clear and there was no precipitation. He was driving west on Highway 3 heading toward US-42 and perhaps four miles short of it when he saw an object. Lee first saw the object hovering just over the tree line between one and 100 and 220 feet off the road and at an altitude of 100 to 150 feet. The object appeared to be about 10 feet tall and 40 feet long. Its shape appeared perfectly rectangular. The craft was the color of the setting sun, but much brighter. Lee felt a compulsion to look at it and was unable to remove his gaze from it. But at the same time, it was too bright to look at continually. He became very frightened and wanted to leave the area, but couldn't do it. He doesn't even remember how the car managed to stay on the road. He wasn't driving it. About 15 seconds into the sighting, the car radio failed. He continued watching the fire-colored UFO. It hovered until it was directly under, until he was directly underneath it. Then, suddenly, it sped away, first at the speed of a jet, then very quickly to the northwest. It had never made any sound. When Lee arrived home, his mother met him at the door and said, "'What's wrong with your eyes?' Lee looked in the mirror and saw that the whites were entirely bloodshot. There was considerable pain, which continued, though to a lesser degree, that evening. He noticed that the time was 1.45 a.m., which meant that he had been en route from Kathy's house for 45 minutes on a seven-minute trip. His mother confirms his arrival time home, and his girlfriend confirms his departure time from her home. So basically, let's just stop there. (laughs) He lost... uh, almost almost 40 minutes of time, basically, 38 minutes of time. I mean, it was a seven-minute trip. It took him 45 minutes to get back. Uh, and so, obviously, there was lost time, so that's when they decided uh, to uh, do some hypnotic regression. Lee felt much reassured when he found that he would not be unable to control what happened to him, that he could ask to come out of hypnosis at any time, and that the hypnotist would not be tricking him as he had seen done at a party. After the discussion, he agreed to the hypnotic session, for he expressed a great deal a great deal of desire to find out what had happened to him during that missing time. Larry spent perhaps 40 minutes relaxing him, achieving the desired hypnotic state, and regressing Lee back to several childhood ages. Then, he brought Lee to the time of the sighting experience, told him to speak up, without prompting, and just let him tell the story as it was happening to him. It was quite eerie for this observer to go through this extremely unusual sequence of events with Lee. Here is the story as he told it under hypnosis. And this is one of the craziest stories you ever heard of. uh, One of the weirdest extraterrestrial encounters ever, most certainly. Um, It says, after he left Kathy's house, he saw the rectangular UFO and at first thought it was a fire, but he immediately rejected that hypothesis and became very scared, asking himself over and over, what is it? His eyes hurt from looking at the bright red object, but he couldn't look away. Somehow it was not moving, but had arrived at a position directly overhead. During this period, he cannot remember driving the car, so it is unknown whether the craft had actually moved over the road or whether the car had entered the field, part of the flat land over which the UFO was hovering. He was increasingly frightened and kept repeating, it's not moving, in a puzzled, frightened tone. Then suddenly he could not see anything. A split second before that, the craft had changed color to black, then to white. Then he could see nothing and felt something in his eyes. When he could see again, he was no longer in the Jeep, but in a circular all-white room. He had no knowledge of the transition. The room was about 20 feet in diameter with a ceiling about 20 feet high. Although from the outside, the ship had not looked nearly that high. The walls of the room were self-luminous. That's another, let me just stop there. That's another strange thing that happens sometimes. The craft, are, they look small on the outside, but when you get in there, it's a lot bigger, it's seeming, seemingly. This is something that's been reported by others uh, many times over the years. It says, before him stood three objects which he instinctively felt or sensed were sentient beings, although they were definitely not human. A black one, a red one, and a white one. The black one was on his left. It stood as high as as the ceiling and was roughly the shape of an army silhouette target, jug-shaped with a relatively small, quote, head, end quote. It had a flat bottom and one arm, a handless, one-jointed appendage. The arm was rough-skinned, the rest of the entity rough in patches, smooth in patches. The head was featureless. It moved slowly to Lee and touched him on the left side and back, hurting him quite a bit and terrifying him. Throughout the regression, Lee kept repeating, No, no, not the black one. The sensation of the black one touching him was somehow cold and burning at the same time and he felt as though he were vibrating. The red one was on his right. It was about Lee's size or a little smaller and a rectangular in shape like a coke machine. It had one arm or probe, unjointed and handless. Lee felt that the thing was scared and reluctant to touch him, but it too came slowly over and touched him on the shoulder and on the right temple, above the ear and within the hairline. This felt like a needle and stung briefly, but did not terrify Lee and did not hurt long. During this time, Lee felt quite cold. The whole ship seemed to be rocking like a boat on the water back and forth. Let me tell you something. This is just one crazy, crazy story. I'll tell you, but I mean, I don't know how anybody could make something like this up. I just, I just don't. I I, this, I think this really happened. Anyway, the white one was about six feet tall, Lee's height. It sat in the middle of the room, watching Lee. Its body was solid and blocky, and its head square on the sides, quite flat in front. In profile, the head sloped towards the body at a 45-degree angle with no features. The whole being glowed. It had arms but did not use them, remaining stationary. Lee knew that it was the, quote, ruler, end quote, of the two. Now, for some reason, some, somehow he must have been re- receiving some sort of messaging, uh, Not maybe not telepathically, maybe empathically says here the red one backed up after it had touched Lee and went together with the with the white one either merging with it or going behind it in which in which case Lee could not see it since it was smaller than the white one the red one had done its job and the white one started making a sound which Lee described as that of a person person brushing his teeth or using sandpaper a rhythmic scraping sound the black one was backing up slowly at this point Also, Lee, who had been quite cold, found that he was now warm. Then the white one moved to the black one and either merged with it or went behind it, leaving only the 20-foot tall black one there with Lee. Then the black one simply disappeared and Lee was alone in the white room. He noticed that perhaps due to the bouncing and rocking motion of the ship, he felt quite a bit heavier. Boy, I'll tell you what, I mean, this would have to be... I mean, luckily, I guess in a way, it's probably good that these aliens... uh, uh, you're not they don't let you remember these things you under, you could understand why why I mean, I'm not sure if you want if anybody would want to remember something like this. I mean, I'm not sure that's the memory you want to be carrying around. Uh, but he remembered it after this hypnotic regression. Uh, and I know a lot of people out there say, well, that's not uh, reliable. well, Uh, I I can't see how somebody could make something like this up. I mean, the guy did have some missing time. This explains it. This is what was going on in that missing time. He saw a craft, and obviously something happened to him. Uh, He didn't remember it. I mean, this is time and time again, we hear cases like this where there's lost time, and this case is no different than those other cases, except in this case, we're talking about sentient machines, which is extremely weird. Anyway, continuing here, It says, under hypnosis, there was no transition time between his presence in the white room and his awareness of being back in the Jeepster. There's the pond, he said, and went on to describe getting home, his eyes burning, his fright, and his mother's comments on his eyes. His sleep that night was poor, but not because of dreams. His eyes simply hurt a good deal and were still hurting him at the at the session that night, whenever he closed them. Lee never used the word telepathy to explain how he knew what he knew about the machine-like beings, for he knew quite a bit that they were sentient, that the red one was scared, that the white one was the leader, and that it was thinking about him. When asked about what he thought their purpose was in taking him on board. He replied that he felt they were checking out his, quote, chemical makeup, end quote, and doing a physical checkup. They were curious about, quote, the way that he was Lee, end quote. He felt, too, that they would be contacting him again. The investigators were interested in the mechanism by which Lee was taken from and returned to the Jeepster, and so we asked him very carefully about the method of transport. Lee said that the red ship had caught the jeep, as he went underneath it, just like a mousetrap waiting for a mouse. The jeep was, quote, not on the ship, not on the ground. It was suspended by some force. Lee was, quote, transformed, or transported, into and out of the ship without opening the door of the jeep. When they put him back in the jeep, it was still suspended. Then he was back on the road and Lee saw the UFO departing. The radio continued not to work for the approximate five seconds it took the ship to disappear from Lee's view." Somehow during the process, Lee's cigarette, which, was, which he was smoking when he first sighted the UFO, vanished completely. Lee felt that, quote, they, end quote, whoever they were, had a sort of control over both him and the Jeep from the time he saw the UFO until it left, as he was never able to get away from the craft or move on his own volition while in the ship. And then it goes on to say, interestingly enough, the electrical system of the Jeep went bad the day after the sighting and will still need quite a bit of repair work. Um. Anyway, I'm, I'll leave there. There's there's some more to that, but that is one of the weirdest stories I've ever heard, or weirdest alien encounters I've ever ever heard of before. Sentient machines. You have to wonder what's going on here. How many are coming here? I mean, on a regular basis, it seems like now. Of course, this was a while ago, 1977, but still. Uh, I mean, how many? What, what's going? On? I mean, how many different beings are going up, are, are showing up here? And what are they doing? Are they just examining us, checking us out. I think that that's probably what's going on. When you think about the number of planets in the universe, right, there has to be uh, way more than just the greys and the reptilians and the, and the uh, insectoids, right? There has to be more than just that. There has to be more explorers out there. I mean, that's what we're doing. We're starting to do it. That's what we want to do. The human race is most certainly uh, going to be exploring uh, the galaxy and galaxies as time goes on if we last that long. Uh, That's what I think we're going to be doing, just like I think is what might be happening here. I mean, for all we know, those sentient machines just might be robots sent by some other race just to to gather data on other uh, life-bearing planets and and, and to study the intelligent life on different planets. Maybe that's all this is about for some of them. Now, again, we don't really know. Uh, if what some people, some researchers believe is the case with the Greys and the abduction, the, their abduction policy and their hybridization program, we don't know really what's going on with that. If that is truly what what they're up to, that they're basically creating a hybrid race of beings for some purpose, we don't know what's going on with them. But what's going on with these beings? Are they just? Is it like Star Trek? Are they just uh, is exploring the, the the universe to? Uh, to, to find other life forms and to catalog them, just out of pure interest, is that what's happening? But I've never heard of a case like this before, where somebody encounters uh, sentient machines. That's it. It's, it sounds absurd, but at the same time, I can't see how somebody could have made this up. And you had people investigating it. Uh, there were, you know, they had the mother, you had the girlfriend saying, "Yeah, he left at this time, and he showed up forty-five minutes later at the mother's house." there was 7 minutes of missing time or excuse me almost uh, 38 minutes of missing time it was a 7 minute trip so i i and then then he's regressed and this is what he tells this is a story that he had to tell i think that that's what happened i don't see how anybody could make that up anyway moving on to another case here that i thought was pretty strange and this is again another case of a creature that doesn't seem to match up with the standard gray or reptilian or insectoid it's something that happened in wisconsin in 1974 uh this was on december 2nd 1974 in frederick wisconsin farmer william bosick 68 had what he termed as a hair-raising experience as he was uh, on december 2nd 1974 as he was driving home he spotted an object on the left side of the road ahead of him it had a curved front of glass and inside he could see a figure with its arms raised above its head now, the figure that he saw doesn't uh, jibe with other uh, standard UFO alien sightings. Uh, not the kind of aliens that you hear about in the in, the, in abductions for the most part. Anyway, it says here, uh, Bosick uh, he had, had what he termed as a hair-raising experience at 10.30 p.m. on December 2nd, 1974. Bosick had attended a Fanner's co-op meeting in Frederick and was driving to his rural home southwest of Frederick Wynn about 1 mile from his farm he spotted an object on the side on the left side of the road ahead of him he had been driving slowly because of patches of fog and his headlights reflected off the object so he slowed as he approached it it had a curved front of glass and inside i could see a figure with its arms raised above his head bosick told reporters when later interviewed by field investigator everett lightner bosick said the uh, Said that the newspaper account, which appeared in the Saint Paul Pioneer Press, was basically accurate, except that the ears on the on the quote human he saw inside were placed higher on the head. Uh, and there's, there's a drawing here that shows what he saw. It doesn't look it doesn't look like uh, it looks more human-like, but with bigger ears, uh, short, stocky, you know, not much to the body, very strange-looking. Anyway, it says here continuing. The object was standing still and appeared to be 8 and 10 feet in height. The transparent glass area through which Bosek could view the occupant was bullet-shaped at the top or tapered to a peak. He had slowed nearly to a stop when he came up to the object, but then fear took over and he stepped on the accelerator and left the object behind. He said that when he did so, the inside of his car became dark and he heard a swishing sound like branches of a tree brushing against the car. The, quote, human, end quote, as bosick referred to it, had hair sticking out from the sides of its head with ears protruding out about three inches, and they were shaped like a calf's ear. It had no collar or shirt with seam in front, but appeared to be clothed in something tannish brown in color and fitted, skin tight, like a dr- diver's suit. Both arms were extended above its head, and, it's, and hair stuck out from the outside of the arms. There was no beard, but there was hair or fur On the upper part of the body The rest of it from the waist down Was not visible because of the fog The object itself was not lighted But reflected light from the headlights Of Mr. Bosick's car Mr. Bosick returned to the location The next morning to search for any landing marks Or evidence of its presence but found nothing He said he was very frightened at the time But the look on the face of the occupant of the craft Indicated that it was frightened too Its eyes were very large and protruding and he kept his experience to himself for a month. He didn't even tell his wife or son about it because uh, uh, it was later on. He just, you know, Of course, I could understand why somebody, after seeing something like that, especially in 1974, might want to keep their mouth shut for a little bit. But uh, a, a later uh, attempt to view the area where the incident had occurred from the vantage point, point of his house was unsuccessful due to the fog. He said, I was so gall-darn scared I was afraid to go out at night for a few days, he told reporters later, and said he wished that he had had somebody with him in the car at the time. After reflecting on the experience for a few weeks, Bosick said that he had felt he did the right thing by speeding away from the object and should have stopped and tried to show show that I was friendly. I wish I could meet up with it again. Uh, And then it goes on to say, he operated a 450-acre dairy farm east of Frederick for 40 years, said that prior to his frightening experience in December, he had been skeptical of stories about UFOs. I just want to stop there for a second. As we all know, a lot of people see these things you know, with their own eyes, and they were skeptics before, and then all of a sudden they're forced into a position where they can't be skeptical because they know it's true. Here's a direct quote. He goes, And I'm sure a lot of people are going to be skeptical after hearing what, what happened to me, but if people don't believe me, I'll take a lie detector test to prove this isn't just something I made up. And then he was also... He was investigated by someone from APRO who found Bosick to be a sincere and a man with a good reputation in his community. So there was obviously no reason for this guy to make up a story like that. And it's just another example of when these beings... There are beings coming here that... uh, It seems like they're just here to study Earth or something. And then, you know, there's not many sightings of them. You would hear more stories like this, I believe... Uh, but I think that some it's very possible that what's going on is that there are some creatures just coming here, checking things out, and then off on their merry way to some other planet where there might be other for- forms of life that they want to uh, investigate and study. Uh, of course, that's different for, it's apparently than the greys and the reptilians and the insectoids who seem to be uh, setting up shop here for a long time now and up to no good. Or maybe up to good. Who knows? I really don't know. Anyway, moving on to the final story. This is another really weird one with another creature that doesn't really uh, sound like anything else that's ever been reported before. It looks a lot different than your uh, normal uh, gray kind of a being. Uh, And this this is called, the headline on this one is Occupant Encounter in New Hampshire. This happened in 1973. And there's a couple of drawings here to go along with it. And this object here that this uh, person's uh, witnessed Uh, was circular, uh, like a big round ball in the sky. Anyway, here, and again, this is another APRO case. It says, the following information is condensed from the very detailed and excellent report submitted by Mr. Walter Webb, one of APRO's consultants in astronomy, as well as that of Mrs. Betty Hill, uh, in New Hampshire, it says here at 2:45 a.m. on Friday morning, November 2nd, 1973, Mrs. Lydia Morell s- signed out at the Swedish Sauna in Manchester, New Hampshire, where she is employed as a masseuse. She then proceeded south in her 1964 Chevrolet Corvair, arriving at Benroy's Restaurant and South Willow Street in Manchester about 10 minutes later, where she had two cups of coffee with a friend from work. After approximately 45 minutes. She and her friend left a restaurant and parted company. Mrs. Morell drove across the street to a gas station and per- purchased $2 worth of gas. This episode, according to Mrs. Morell, may have taken about 10 minutes. So just you know, a day, day work com- comes to an end, and you have some coffee with a friend, you know, and you're just driving home in the middle of the night, and then all of a sudden something real crazy happens. It says here, after crossing the Merrimack River via Queen City Bridge, Mrs. Morell proceeded northwest on Mast Road. As she passed the Bywise supermarket in Penardville, outside of Manchester, her attention was attracted to a large, bright yellow light in the sky to her left and ahead of her. Resembling a bright star, the object flashed red, green, and blue colors. In fact, the witness couldn't tell at this point if it was moving and thought the object was a planet. Mrs. Morell was also aware of another bright yellowish star to the left of the object, which undoubtedly was the planet Mars. The UFO was brighter and yellower, than the other object, the witness continued to drive at what she believed was an average speed of about 30 miles per hour. Although she had no way of checking her speed since the speedometer was broken and disconnected. After traveling about a mile, Mrs. Morell said she looked at the object and saw that it was still in the same position, but seemed to be brighter. brighter, excuse me. Approaching the intersection of routes 114A and 114, the woman lit a cigarette, and at that moment, as she looked at the object, its lights went out. Thinking that was peculiar for her planet, she entertained the idea for the first time that the object might be a UFO. However, she was not apprehensive After and after pass- passing the intersection, the light reappeared in the same spot to the left and ahead of the car. The road was dark, but up ahead on the right, Mrs. Morell said she could see the lights of the Hillsborough Counter County Nursing Home, the so-called County Farm, and across the road on the left, the lights of Moore General Hospital. As her car approached the farm, The object's lights went out immediately after this disappearance. A couple of cars traveling toward Manchester passed by in the eastbound lane. The witness recalled seeing no other traffic in either lane throughout the rest of the sighting, at least not until after her arrival at the Bowdoin house. And then later on, uh, Mrs. Morell had an up-close encounter with this thing. She she finally got to see this object up-close. It says here, Veering left at the intersections of routes 14 and 13, the witness said she was astounded to see the light dead ahead down North Mast Road. The object appeared larger, quite a bit closer and lower than before and was positioned as if waiting for the observer. Mrs. Morell said that she was amazed at what she perceived before her. According to her, the object appeared to be an orange and gold globe, completely covered with a honeycomb design of hexagons, except for an oval window of paler color situated at the upper left portion of the UFO. The witness thought the object was not totally opaque, but had a peculiar translucent translucent quality about it. The flashes of red, green, and blue light were rays of beams emanating from a source in the center. These three colors constantly changed back and forth as in a twinkling of a star. A steady, thin, high-pitched whine was emitted by the object, and, according to the woman, this sound was felt through her body as a tingling sensation. She was amazed... uh She said in her amazement, quickly turned in panic when she suddenly was unable to remove her hands from the steering wheel. Moreover, she reported that she felt her eyes pulled toward the UFO and had the sensation it was taking control of her body and drawing her toward it. When asked about any possible disturbances to the car's electrical system, she said she was not aware of any effects on her automobile's engines, lights, or radio, which was playing at the time. At no time during this phase of the sighting did the witness recall stopping her car. However, as she drove forward a short distance from the intersection, she said she experienced a loss of memory for nearly half a mile. She said she was unaware of driving a stretch between a church on her right and West Lawn Cemetery on her left, although she felt her eyes follow the UFO without interruption. After the experience, she speculated that they may have retrieved and recorded her memory during this interview. See, a lot of these things are just terrifying when they happen. I mean, this one would have to be extremely terrifying, this case here. I mean, I don't know, especially when she got a closer look at this uh, object. She said, suddenly Mrs. Morell said she, she realized she, where she was and became cognizant that the car was moving at a high rate of speed and that the vehicle was out of control. She had the d- definite impression that the UFO was pulling her car toward it like a magnet and getting closer. Its apparent size having increased to an angle's Subtended by a dime at arm's le- suspended by a dime at arm's length, the observer thought the object's actual size was at least as big as a large automobile. When Mrs. When Mr. Webb questioned Mrs. Mrs. Morell closely about the car's increased acceleration, she replied she normally was a slow, careful driver, rarely driving very fast, but did admit she could have unconsciously stepped hard on the pedal from fright although she didn't think that was the case. It was at this point that she noticed the figure in the upper left window. As their car approached a point outside the middle of the cemetery, the UFO closed possibly to within less than 500 feet, perhaps considerably less, becoming larger than a quarter at arm's length. At the same time, the object grew brighter and the whine seemed louder. At this point, she estimated the object to be at the height of a three-story building. The figure in the window was now distinct, Mrs. Morell barely mentioned the occupants in newspaper accounts because she thought it would be too unbelievable and might discredit the whole experience. Let me just stop there for a second. Isn't that interesting? You know, a lot of people, they didn't want to talk about the occupants. I mean, that's how it was for a long time, actually, uh, in the UFO community. If you go back to the 50s, people didn't really want to talk about the occupants because that just seemed too far-fetched. But then again, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, there has to be occupants, right? Who's operating these things? But nobody really wanted to talk about that. And you can see this lady here, uh, she didn't want to talk about it either. Uh, But anyway, she said that the figure's head, upper body, and arms were visible while a dark horizontal surface occupying the lower portion of the oval window obscured the rest of the body. The woman guessed this humanoid could have been standing at a control board of some kind. Behind the figure was a white Background. The occupant's body appeared darker than the face with small shoulders, but it was uncertain whether the body was clothed in a uniform or not. The rounded head was grayish between a gray and flesh tone, except for a darker color on top, and the face bore wrinkles or loose skin like an elephant's hide. Angling upward across the forehead, two large egg-shaped eyes with large dark pupils gripped the observer's attention so much that she felt unable to look away. See, she said she received an impression or awareness that told her don't be afraid a mouth slit turned down at the corners completed this description of the face now if you're listening to this you can't see this drawing here but the drawing is very strange it doesn't look like your sta- it doesn't look like a gray being the head isn't like as oversized but it's it's circular it's it's like a rounded head uh, and the eyes are different there's like whites in the eyes apparently it's 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 not your standard it, it doesn't sound like your standard alien abduction encounter or, or, or alien encounter. Uh, now, this this woman apparently was not abducted, but still, uh, it doesn't sound like what uh, people usually uh, talk about when they do get abducted. Uh, anyway, continuing here, it says, panic-stricken, Mrs. morell believed she was in imminent danger of being captured by the UFO. Passing by the cemetery, she spotted a house ahead on the left. The glow became so dazzling that she covered her eyes with an arm and simultaneously turned the wheel with the other hand, entering the driveway of the Bowden house at an angle and coming to a halt partly on the front lawn. The witness had covered a distance of almost exactly a mile from the Route 114-13 intersection, and now she was only three-quarters of a mile from home. Leaving the engine running and the headlights on, Mrs. Morell said she pushed o- pushed open the door of the car. At that instance, uh, at that instant, the Bowdens' growling German shepherd dashed up to the woman as she got out of the car. Normally afraid of strange dogs, she said she belted the animal across the mouth. Though she did not recall running to the house, she began pounding on the kitchen door, ringing the bell, and yelling over and over again, "Help me! Help me! Help me!" I'll leave the rest of the story there, but basically, the people came out uh, that lived in that house, and uh, they contacted police, and uh, nobody really saw the object after that. Uh, there was they they there was a something in the sky, but the investigators believe after uh, when when this woman knocked on the door of this of these uh, uh, the Bowden family. Uh, this object flew away. Uh, there was a, a an object in the sky, but uh, investigators later determined that that was only uh, a planet, most likely uh, that the other witnesses had seen. But 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 the bottom line is is that Mrs. Morell had seen something, and that something was very strange. Of course, a ball floating above the highway, drawing her car toward it, and the creature inside uh, looks like unlike anything I've ever seen described before. It doesn't sound like your standard gray. It has a different sort of description altogether. So, again, you have to ask yourself, how many creatures are coming here from other worlds? How many intelligent beings are visiting Earth uh, on a regular basis, checking us out? She she may have become, if she didn't do what she did, she may have become a victim of uh, alien abduction. Um, and for all we know, this maybe after failing with this woman, this, this uh this being found somebody else to uh, pick on. We don't. We just don't know. But I think these are really interesting cases, and there's so many other things out there, so many other stories out there, and this is just a handful of them. I mean, you could find, you, you go on the Internet and check out this Northern Ontario UFO research and study. They have a lot of different uh, APRO listings on here from the Aerial uh, Phenomena Research Organization, which is now defunct. They have them listed there, uh, and this is another another really good one. Uh, again, this appeared in the Apro Bulletin, this story back in uh 1974. And you'll find other stories on this website. I really I talked about this website before on, on uh different uh, for different podcasts. Um but yeah, this is just another I, I just want to I think it's important to point out that there's more than just the grays and uh the in- insectoids. There's other things coming here too. Uh, and it, maybe they're not up to anything. Maybe they're just here to examine us and collect data and then go go away, you know, and go off to another planet. We just don't know. We have no idea, but these things are happening. All these people aren't making stories up. Uh, these things are really happening to people sometimes. Uh, for as unbelievable as it may sound to some out there, I do believe all three of these stories are true. I don't see any reason why any of them would have would have made something like this up. It doesn't make any sense um most people just don't want to i a lot of times people don't even want their names to be used for some stories and there's a lot of stories encounter stories like that out there too um but people don't get scared like this i mean it, something scared this like in this recent story that i just we're just talking about here this mrs morrell something scared her uh beyond belief and it, it, she people just don't act like this for nothing uh you know, it was a a night of work ended. She has some coffee with a friend. Next thing you know, there's some sort of a strange craft hovering in front of her car, drawing her car toward it, and then somehow she got away from it. And she probably saved herself by finding the that house there and banging on the door and waking those people up in the middle of the night and calling the police. That probably got her out of uh, uh, a situation like, uh, like the earlier story where the guy was uh, abducted by machine-like beings. So yes, there are many stories out there like this and that don't involve uh, your standard alien creatures that you hear of all the time that are involved in uh, abductions. Uh, There's other things out there too, checking us out. Obviously, there's more than just, more than you could possibly imagine, I think. Again, when you think about the number of planets in the universe, what is it? uh, Over 700 quintillion planets, like we talked about recently. Uh, One quintillion equals a million trillion. And when you put it all into perspective, uh, this Earth is like an island, and there's other islands out there in this sea of space, right? And just like when human beings were in the past, you know, discovering new island, new worlds, like the Christopher Columbuses of the uh, There's there's extraterrestrial Christopher Columbuses. That's what I think. And they're coming here and they're checking things out. And some some are here probably on uh, indifferent purposes. Some are here are probably on uh, evil purposes or selfish purposes or uncaring purposes and then some are here probably who knows to help us perhaps we just don't know we don't know we do well I know that our governments have more information on this that they could share but they that but I but I also believe that they they although they might have more information they don't know enough and and that's one of the reasons for the cover-up and the number one reason always has to be reverse engineering but I believe that the uh, one of the one of the uh, reasons has to be because they just can't tell us all they 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 don't know governments of the world haven't haven't figured this out yet. We're not smart enough to figure this out yet. Uh, these beings obviously to be able to do the things that they do when you hear these stories like this uh, sentient machines. I mean, just look what what human race is doing right now. I just recently saw uh, a demonstration of of uh, basically, robots that look just like human beings. They have they walk around, they move around. They they, they showed them at a uh, they were displaying them at a recent NFL game. It was there was a story about it online. These I mean, look what we're doing right now. What are we going to be able to do a thousand years from now, uh, ten thousand years from now, a hundred thousand years from now if we're still here? I mean, the capabilities uh, the, the, uh, that we're going to attain is going to you can't even imagine. You can't even imagine. I mean, just think: a hundred years ago, nobody had TV. Radio was was the big deal. You know, it's unbelievable the advancements the human race has just made in a hundred years. So, if you think about what we're going to be able to do in a thousand years from now, it's it, you you can't. It's it's beyond your uh, pay grade. You just don't have. The, we don't have people right now. A lot of us just don't have the. Uh, ability to imagine what it's going to be like in the future, in the distant future the the technology that we're going to create we just can't imagine it but uh, it's going to be incredible I could say that as long as we continue the way we are but when you think about what could be coming here how they could be so far advanced than we are right now that we can't even we, the, the, the technology that they have at their fingertips it, it's it would seem like complete absolute magic to us it would seem like sorcery anyway I want to say thank you for joining me until next time.